Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. Uh, there's Charles W. Bryant. This is Stuff You Should Know. Oh, and hey, Jerry. Sorry, Jerry. Jerry is the unsung hero. Heroin. Yes. Little horse for a little monkey. What? It's an old Mr. Science Theater 3000 line. Oh. Oh, you threw me there. I thought she had a little horse and a little monkey or something. Under her desk. Well, I was about to be like, Jerry, why don't you tell me you had a little horse and a little she monkey? She has a pony and a macaque with her. <laughs> so, uh, wow. yeah. That's how we're starting this one? <laughs> why not? Okay. All right, Chuck. I have a uh, pretty decent intro this time. Well, let's hear it then. Have you ever heard of the Lost Colony of Roanoke? I have. But I would like you to fill us in. Thank you. So back in the, I think, 17th century, the early 17th century, Roanoke was one of the uh, very first colonies, if not the first American colony, right? Yeah. Um, in what is now North Carolina, Virginia, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was thriving for a little while. They had a nice little fort, and they used to fight with the, the Native Americans and, you know, pretty normal early American colonial stuff, right? Sure. So, like I said, everything is going happily along, and then about two years after the colony is uh, established, mm-hmm. an expedition bringing supplies comes along, and they find the thing totally abandoned. No sign of life. Wow. Uh, I don't believe there is any dead bodies. Creepy. Or bones. Creepy. Um, and the only trace of uh, anything was the word Croatoan carved into one of the uh, posts that made up the fort. You're kidding. And I think there were some uh, there were uh, there was a local tribe called the Croatoan, but they were nowhere to be found. That's creepy. Isn't it very creepy this whole colony lo- just vanished. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Wolverines was spray painted on the front <laughs> <Right>. of it. <laughs> but the the they think now that they may have been absorbed by another tribe, the okay. Lumbee, uh-huh. which actually um, were completely alien to whites uh, until, I think, the early 18th century, okay. or very late, like uh, several decades after the, the colony at Roanoke vanished, right? right. Um, and, and when they, the whites did encounter them, they said, hey, um, why do some of you look kind of white? And why are you building two-story thatch houses like <laughs> right. we have in England? Right. And, you know, how do you uh, know how to read the Bible? Sure. Right? Yeah. Um, so What's up with this baseball thing? Exactly. <laughs> they think so. They think that the Lumbee tribe absorbed the colonists at Roanoke. Wow. 
that is among the very few lost colonies of uh, human history. Yeah, right? yeah, sure. I'll tell you another species that has tons of lost colonies. Bees. <laughs> Dude, best setup ever. Really? Yeah, of course. Thanks, Chuck. Really, really good. Yes, Josh, we are here today to talk about colony collapse disorder because bees are disappearing at an alarming rate, much like the people of the Roanoke Colony. Right. And, Chuck, I think that probably most of the people who listen to our podcast said, why do I care that bees are disappearing? I hate bees. They sting me and they they, um, chase me in my dreams. You You know why? I do. Why? You want me to tell them? Yeah. Because bees are vital to... Almost any kind of vegetation you can eat. And not only that, let's say you're like, eh, I don't eat vegetables. I eat meat. I'm That's a meat me man. all over. Did you know? Here, let me let me give you a little scenario that was posed in this article, Josh. Okay. Take the almond population. Let's. For example. My <laughs> new favorite nut, as you know, is the almond. I know. Chuck's crazy about almonds. Oh, they're so good for you. Um, beekeepers basically go to California every year with about 40 billion honeybees to... Uh, pollinate the almond crop right every february it's every february and over those few weeks 80 percent of the world's almond crop is pollinated and about a billion dollars in exports are generated so you might think okay well i don't eat almonds either tough guy yeah those almonds the almond hulls are sold as cattle feed part of the cattle feed right they're also crushed as shells for bedding for livestock right and the dust almond dust is collected is an additive to the topsoil, so that hamburger has almond juice running through it, yeah. which has bee juice running through it. Yeah, and that's just almonds. Yeah. Uh, I think a total of $15 billion worth of agricultural products are pollinated by commercial honeybees every year. Every year. And we said that bees are disappearing. Um, mostly it's honeybees that are disappearing uh, under the... Uh, Colony collapse disorder, right, Chuck? Yeah, specifically, that's what we're worried about. So it is important, obviously, mm-hmm. that honeybees are kept happy and healthy. Big time. And um, that they not mysteriously vanish without a trace. Yeah, it's not just about honey, folks. Let's, although honey is delicious. It is delicious and nutritious. Let's talk about what colony collapse disorder is, Chuckers. Okay. Uh, I think they. Um, I think Jessica Toothman said in this article that attrition rates in a bee colony is normal. Because bees do have wings and they will fly away, and about twenty percent is is an average of what you're looking for. I think it's like an average maximum. Average max. Okay. Yeah. Because I mean, when you let the bees out to go pollinate, some are just going to be like, "I like this colony," or "I think I'm going to um, go hit the road with Neil Cassidy or something." Right. You know. Yeah. Sure. They don't always come back. That's true. Uh, and so, starting as early as 2002, but really in 2006 is when it really, really peaked. Or not peaked, but when it really showed its ugly face, uh, the bees started leaving and not coming back at it, and we suspect dying at a rate of anywhere from thirty to ninety percent. Ninety percent—that's huge. And do you remember you said a minute ago that uh, every February about forty billion bees? Mm-hmm. That's in just one million hives. So if ninety percent of a hive is dying off or vanishing, yeah, that's a lot of that bees. is a lot of bees mm-hmm. in just one hive, which we should probably specify is uh, virtually interchangeable with the word colony. Hive and colony, same thing. Yeah, yeah. You know what's creepy? What is sometimes when they when they come back and they see that all the bees the the bees are gone. Sometimes you'll just see the queen and larvae and a few younger bees, and that's it. And they're like, where's everybody gone? gone and maybe gone. crow, uh, what's the word again? Croatone. Maybe croatone's like, scrawled into the beehive. Yeah, in honey. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, that's colony collapse disorder. Most of the uh, most of the time, it's the workers are just gone, vanished, uh-huh. or, or at least ninety percent of them, right? Um, and what I guess another kind of interesting and almost unsettling aspect is that when a when a beehive gets abandoned mm-hmm. and all that's left is like the queen and some larvae, and and especially when there's tons of honey in it, yeah, yeah, moths, um, other kinds of bees. Wasps, any other insect with a taste for sweet, sweet honey, yeah, invades it immediately. Uh-huh. Not so with uh, colonies that have been uh, hit by colony collapse disorder. Yeah, they wait a few days, right? Yeah, they do. That's creepy. It's real creepy. That'd be like leaving a, a, some steak out in the hot sun in July and there being like no flies or animals buzzing around. Right, until like the following Thursday. That's really creepy. Yeah, it, and it definitely uh, gives you an idea that something serious is up, right? So we have mystery, 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 tons of bees dying or vanishing. Um, and like you said, Chuck, this really stepped up in 2006, 7, and 8, right? Yeah. And it's still going on from what I understand. Uh-huh. This is not the first time that this happened, though. Yeah, you said it, it was the worst case ever was when? Uh, it's not the worst. I think this is the worst case ever, oh, but before it's been pretty bad. Uh, in 1995... Uh, in Pennsylvania, um, f- beekeepers reported 53% of their hives just knocked out, just really? vanished, gone, um, or dead. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it, we have um, mysterious beehive abandonments uh, dating back to the 1880s, uh, the early 20th century. Um, and in 1903 in Utah, uh, 2,000 colonies were mysteriously lost. Really? Yeah, just gone. So wow. th- this isn't... If you'll notice, it's Utah, Pennsylvania, here or there, you know? Uh-huh. With colony collapse disorder, it's spread around. There's there's, there's evidence of it in Australia, in Europe, in the U.S. Yeah, actually, Australia said they've been doing okay. Okay, well, <laughs> there's evidence of it in not Australia, but in well, Europe, I, in the U.S. I apologize. Australia did say they had reported it, but things seem to be back on track in Australia. So you were right. Should I say it again? No, you should just smack me. All right. So... Chuck, the apiarists, you know, like that? Very nice. This is another word for beekeeper, uh-huh. are getting a little bit concerned. It's widespread. The numbers are high. It's mysterious. What possibly is going on here? Well, they're not quite sure, Josh. That's why it's a little distressing. I know. This mystery of the vanishing yeah. bees. They do awesome. have some ideas, and after reading this article and a few other uh, supplementary articles, my belief is that it's a combination of factors. It's probably not one thing. Yeah, and actually the um, USDA's Steering Committee on Colony Collapse Disorder, uh-huh. it's a mouthful, Yeah, uh, they just released their first, um, I guess, white paper on colony collapse disorder this past July, and they, they concluded the same thing. Oh, really? That there's a bunch of different factors at work. Um, there were some ideas thrown out, like some unknown organism or pathogen was right. affecting them. They said probably not. There was a study done in Germany um, as to whether or not uh, cell phone and cell phone towers yeah, I thought that was were putting off radiation that was screwing with the bees' homing abilities. Uh-huh. And this, uh, these Germans did that study, and they said, no, not happening. And apparently the opposite was picked up by the news cycle to the point where the guy who conducted the study wrote the AP a uh, letter saying, we found no link between colony collapse disorder and cell phones. Anybody who says or writes anything else is a liar. But they were linking that, and uh, journalists were linking that? And journalists loved to link stuff. Rabble rouse. Yeah. It's right. correlative, not causative. Let's talk about a couple of these things, Josh. All right. Let's talk about the Israeli acute paralysis virus. 
This seems to be the most important factor. If right. there's several factors involved mm-hmm. in colony collapse disorder, this seems like right at the top. I would agree. Uh, just from reading about it, it is a virus discovered by Israeli scientists in 2002, and it causes trembling, paralysis, and death in bees, which is it just makes me really sad to think about a trembling, paralyzed, and yeah. then dying bee. Uh, what's cool um, is that they, they these uh, researchers in this study in 2007, um, I guess, introduced IAPV into right. some hives uh-huh. and then kept some other ones separate um, so that they wouldn't become infected because honeybees are very social and they frequently interact with bees from other colonies. Um but they infected them in this greenhouse. Yeah, this is creepy. And then as the bees were dying, the researchers noted that the healthy bees were dragging the dead ones to the outskirts of the greenhouse, as far away from the hive as they could. I know. They were quarantining these dead bee Isn't that crazy? bodies. It is. That seems to me to be a real red flag here. It is, you know what else is? What? That when they um, studied some, there was another study in 2007 that looked at already infected um colony collapse disorder hives and then non-CCD hives. Right. And they found that in 96.1% of the infected hives, uh, IAPV was present. Really? But it wasn't in any of the, the non-CCD hives. So it's definitely a huge factor. Yeah, it seems it. like it. Yeah. But not case closed because there are some other factors that may weigh in as well. Right. Uh, pesticides is a big one. Specifically, Chuck. The neonicotinoid. Nice. <laughs> People knew that it took 20 minutes for us to spit that out. They'd laugh. <laughs> yeah. uh, they are neurotoxins, Josh, and they are pesticides, and they're used to protect crops against pests, which all pesticides Unfortunately, do. <laughs> also uh, honeybees as well. Yeah, and um, I think the Germans, once again, the beekeepers in Germany are blaming this for massive die-off rates. Right. The same Germans who said that the cell phones had nothing to do with it. So much so that some countries are starting to uh, ban this type of pesticide. Yeah. Um, even though I don't think there's been any causal link established, it's the correlations enough that right. You know, do you want to hear the saddest factor for me? <laughs> this, it's sad, but at the same time, I imagine some bee in like a crumpled fedora carrying a briefcase returning to the hive. You know, <laughs> right? Joe versus the bee, the right. beehive. Oh, I love that movie. Me too. Uh, stress, Josh, is what we're talking about. Yeah, and these poor little bees because of uh, beekeepers stretching out the pollination season. Uh, basically giving bees less time to recuperate before carrying them around to another crop. They're overworked and they're stressed out, and it could be you know disrupting their immune systems and killing them off. Right. Sad, sad, sad. And then the last factor in the article that was uh, mentioned as a possible culprit was the uh, varroa mite. Yeah, what's the deal with these suckers? They actually transmit IAPV to uh, okay. um, bees. Well, there you have it. They're little jerks. <laughs> Little jerky mites. So the like we said, fifteen billion dollars worth of agricultural crop products in the U.S. alone were pollinated by commercial honeybees. So you can imagine that the USDA is a little worried about colony collapse disorder, right? Yeah, they're actually looking to alternative methods of pollinating, like synthetic methods of pollinating plants, mm-hmm. because of this. Uh, naked guys running through the fields. That's one. <laughs> yeah. And other bees are trying to put other bees to work. Yes. Like, which one was it? The blue orchard bee? Yeah. They're seeing if that works. Uh, and then, of course, they're also trying to do what they can to take care of the honeybees and restore their population. Um, but it's not just the USDA that has a hand in honeybee repopulation. No. No? No. It's you and I, too, Chuck. You and I and Hagendas. 
Oh, yeah? Yeah. Let's hear it. Well, we're going to give you some tips here in a minute on what you can do as an individual, but I did want to point out that delicious Haagen-Dazs ice cream has a, has nearly 50% of their all-natural ice creams. It sounds like I'm reading an ad. Yeah. It's because it's from their website. Nearly 50% of them use honeybees in some way, shape, or form right. to get their ultimate ingredient. So they've got a little deal going where what they- What is the uh, ultimate ingredient? <laughs> well, there's 50 of them. Oh, okay. Well, no, 50%, sorry. Uh, they have created a special flavor called Vanilla Honey Bee, and they call it a delicious tribute to these essential creatures. And, of course, when you buy this this uh, kind or any of them that have the ingredients that come from the honeybee's help, they donate some money. Cool. Which is pretty cool. And yeah. you can donate just straight to uh, a cause via the cause via the haagen site. Or you can be nice to your local apiarists and maybe having a bad day, and that could just help, right? Sure. That yeah. would help. Um, so we we have some tips for you, Josh. You want to go over some of these? Uh, my favorite is um, contact your member of parliament and tell them <laughs> yeah. to start funding uh, bee research yeah. more. This Chuck, I defy you to contact your <laughs> member of parliament. They'll throw their wig at me. Uh, the number one on the list of, and this is clearly England, but I imagine you can do the same things here, is to become a beekeeper. That's a good one. Sure. Cool job. The more uh, hives, the better, unless they're infected, and then the opposite is true. Yeah. Uh, another thing you can do is protect swarms. If you see a swarm of honeybees, don't go out there with the uh, the can of Raid. Or your can of hairnet and a lighter. Yeah, that's even, that's even a worse idea. You, uh, you should contact um, a local authority, and supposedly they will contact a beekeeper that will come and round them up. You want to make sure that they're going to contact a beekeeper. Actually, there's people who do swarm removals and just kill all the bees. Oh, really? Yeah, you want to make sure that they're going to be taken to a hive by a beekeeper. And then the guy comes out with this can of Raid and the lighter, <laughs> some <laughs> local redneck. Right. Uh, plant your garden with bee-friendly plants. This is the biggest one that you can actually make an impact here at home. So we're talking single flowering plants and vegetables, and they recommend the Allium family, uh, mint, beans, except for French beans and flowering herbs, and bees especially like daisy-shaped flowers. So sunflowers, sunflowers are, big. are really big for helping to... Uh, Helping the honeybees out. And if you have your hands in your pockets right now and you're feeling nothing but lint and you're like, I'd really love to help the bees, but I can't afford any sunflower seeds, man. I'm not, like, rich. <laughs> you can actually contact uh, a group called the Great Sunflower Project. Yeah, that's cool. And they'll send you some seeds. Uh, in return, all they ask is that you spend uh, 30 minutes twice a month. If you can't swing that, then you need to take stock of your life. Um, 30 minutes twice a month in the garden. Uh, noting arrival times, departure times, and uh, whether or not you even see any bees on your sunflowers and sending a, sending in the information. Yeah, right? exactly, because if you don't see any bees, that's really important to tell them as well. Right, and don't use pesticides midday, Chuck. Oh, is that a big one? Yeah, well, that's when bees are most likely to be out foraging. Okay. So if you're going to spray any kind of pesticide, mm-hmm. don't do it in the middle of the day. It's bad news. Right, they also say if you're going to use uh, pesticides or pest control to use Insect-specific pesticides. Mm-hmm. So don't buy kill all. And don't buy kills honeybees. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a few other gardening tips for you. I know you're quite the gardener. Uh, they say if you have space to use 10 or more bee plants in a group, if you can group them together, that's a good thing. Sure. It makes pollination easier. Sure. And if not, you know, do what you can. Plant as many as you can. Uh, they also require water when they're foraging in your garden. So... You know, put out a little bird bath, and if you don't have a bird bath, maybe just a dish of water in huh. your garden. 
Didn't know that, did you? I did not. It's <laughs> a good one. And they also um, burrow in the ground. So they say not to completely mulch your entire garden, to leave some bare areas, maybe where you don't see it, or maybe put a little mound of sand and the bees can home down in there. Huh. So another little tip you can use. And native plants are always good. If you're a gardener, plant native plants to your state because bees yeah. eat them up. And aside from gardening, you can also buy local honey. You know, I, I used to know an apiarist. I interviewed really? him once for uh, the Henry County Times when I edited it, and um, he sold local honey. I got stung by a bee, by the way, while I was interviewing him. Really? It hurt, <laughs> man. Um, and uh, like three years later, I was at someone's house, a friend's house, and they just happened to have honey from this guy's farm. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, if your city is like um, Atlanta, then there are all manner of farmer's markets. That story sounded so much more interesting in my head before I spit it out. I thought it was interesting. Thanks. Can you tell, by the way, I just breezed right over it? Yeah, I can. <laughs> uh, if, if Atlanta is like your town, you probably have all kind of farmer's markets, local markets, and I sure. guarantee you there will be somebody with honey at those. And they say if you're into um, immunology uh-huh. uh, and you believe that you can immunize yourself from uh local allergies using honey right which is yet to be proven but it makes a lot of sense you want to buy honey that's um created within 15 miles of your uh your house right and buying local is always a good idea sure all across the board and i got one more unless you have one more no i'm done okay because i want to finish with this one it's so good uh under the heading bee friendly terrible some tips on uh you know if you have bees in your area don't swat them don't flap your hands around just stay calm and move slowly away into the shade, they say, and bees will lose interest. They also don't have as much interest if you smell like alcohol or leather, and they regard uh, regard dark clothing as a threat. So put on some dark leather pants, mm-hmm. get drunk, mm-hmm. and hang out in your garden. Apparently, I will never get stung by a bee. <laughs> wow. Nice. I'd like to see that. If you want to learn more about this mysterious colony collapse disorder, you can read Jessica Toothman's fascinating article, How Colony Collapse Disorder Works. I imagine if you type in collapse disorder or colony collapse or colony collapse disorder into the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, it will yield said article. Uh, In the meantime, let's do some listener mail. Josh, these are uh, two from two kids, and you know we like the kid emails. They're always nice and super friendly and cute and not like us cynical, old, rotten adults. Yeah. So the first one is from Beto, which I love that name, Beto. It's, what is that, Italian, Portuguese? I would think it's Italian. Okay. Hey, guys, my name is Beto, pronounced B-E-T-O. I know you're laughing. It's a laugh. <laughs> uh, I have listened to every single one of your podcasts since the eighth grade, and I am now a sophomore in high school. What? Now, doesn't that really put it in perspective? Yeah. I feel old all of a sudden. And cynical. I, people are actually, we're seeing these people grow up. This is, it brings a tear to my eye. You know, when we get a graduation invitation from Sarah, the 11-year-old fan, then it's time to hang it up. Yeah. All right. He says, uh, Beto says, I have to wake up every morning at 6 a.m. to catch the bus at 7 so I can go to a school 30 minutes away from my house. It's about an hour bus ride. I'm not sure how that works. And all I can do is listen to my iPod every day. I download two or more and prepare for my day. And you, have two, you two have become quite possibly my two favorite heroes besides Matt Bellamy, who I had to look that up. Who is it? He's the lead singer of Muse. Oh. 
So we're heroes along with this muse dude. Yeah. Uh, because every morning I'm sitting on that crowded bus with loud people and I can listen to you two talk about a random subject, including ones that sound boring at first, but thanks to you I learned something and get a few laughs along the way. You are the coolest guys I know, <laughs> kind of since I don't actually know you, he says. And I hope that you guys never quit doing this. Your number one fan for real, Beto. Well, the, oh, no, he's, sorry, he, follow, he follows up for you specifically. He says, Josh, you're amazing, and I have a man crush on you, but I have a girlfriend, so you know. Ha ha, she doesn't know. That's what he says. Wow. I know. Wow. Did Beto just come on to me? I think so. All right. <laughs> Beto actually says he would be in awe shock if you read this on the air, but I doubt you will. So I'm kind of... Uh, I think Beto just used reverse psychology <laughs> on you. I think so. This Beto kid is sharp. Just got punked by a 10th grader. All right, and here's another quickie from Nick in Alpharetta. Nick is 18, uh, 17 in Alpharetta, Georgia. And he has written this before, but he had a personal tie to Edward of Woodstock from the Mercenaries podcast. He was his great, great, great... Etc. Grandfather, how about that? Wow, pretty cool, huh? He says, "I know this because." <laughs> well, that's what he put. He didn't know how many greats it was, uh, and he knows this because they have a family tree, and he is right near the beginning of it. And after he was Edward of Woodstock, he became Edward, Prince of Wales. Oh yeah, and then and that's what he says, at least. And he goes and details a little bit of uh, Edward of Woodstock's life, and just says that thanks for mentioning him. he's related to him. Very cool. Right here in Georgia. Yeah, in Alpharetta. It's yep. right up the road a piece. Right up the road. Well, thank you, Beto and Nick. We appreciate both of you guys for writing in. We love all of you who write in. And by love, I mean really appreciate and are fond of. <laughs> if you want us to love you, uh, you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.